0: All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucktopians? What the fuckskins? How are you? This is Mark Maron. Did you call? This is WTF the podcast. Is this what you ordered? Is this what you're supposed to be listening to? Welcome to the show. I'm glad you're here today. I have Peter Bogdanovich on the show, the film director. You might uh, know him from his many uh, impressive credits. Starting with the last picture show. Well, that's the one that we started with that I knew uh, moving through what's up doc on into, uh, uh, Daisy Miller. He did mask. He did, uh, Texasville later. There's a lot of things that he did. Friend of Orson Wells being also a film critic, film intellectual. Also, he was, uh, involved with Dorothy Stratton when she was, um, brutally murdered, uh, and and he's a, he was oh Paper Moon of course Paper Moon had a profound impact on me when I was a kid, but he's a, he's an interesting guy. He also played the therapist on The Sopranos. He's had a, a, a long career. He was there in Hollywood in the seventies when things were changing. It was an honor to talk to him. I probably could have talked longer. Sometimes I feel that way with some people, but uh, I think we had a good chat, and it was. You kind of got a sense of his personality because there's a couple of junctures in his career where you kind of ask yourself what the fuck happened there. I asked him a bit, but uh, it was great. It, it was great to talk to him. I'll be sharing that with you momentarily. So the other thing I wanted to re plug is the the Hal Premium. Uh, it's the uh, it's it's the new home for all the WTF archives. If you haven't switched your account over, email support at hal.fm and they'll get you switched over at no additional cost. Uh, new subscribers to Hal premium you get 3.99 a month if you go to HAL.fm and use the promo code wtf i did it i got a good deal on it i I just got it on my phone looks good the app looks good also these dates in australia you know london is coming up and uh dublin uh both of those are, are are next week and those are doing well but i'm going to be in australia october 15th at the state theater in sydney australia october 16th at the palais theater in melbourne and october 17th at brisbane city hall in brisbane Uh, i need you if you're listening in australia and you give a shit and you're a fan of mine you should go buy your tickets now because uh, i need to know that it's worth the trip you dig what i'm saying i want to come down there there's been some momentum behind getting me down there but we need to sell the tickets because i don't want to walk into a sad situation not a bad place for me to be sometimes, comedically, but uh, don't need. I, I don't need to be thrown into it. I'd rather throw myself into it on my own volition. The sadness, the bleakness, the darkness that is just always there, just right under the surface, waiting for me to swim in. The heart test. Yes, I had the heart tests. Uh, today, I woke up. I had um, some eggs. I've been very nervous about my health because uh, my brain wanders. I don't have a child. Uh, I am dating somebody, but she's not always at my house. So left to my own devices. Sometimes when I wake up, I like to, uh, to wonder, uh, you know, how long that's going to go on for. But I've been having some uh, aches and pains and this and that. And as you know, those of you who have been with me, I had an event when I went running a couple weeks ago. And today I went to the doctor. Today was my stress test day. And this is where they they inject an isotope, I believe it's called, into your vein on an IV that they leave dangling from your arm, and then they take pictures of your heart. And then they put you on a treadmill, and you push your heart up to a certain rate, and they check your blood pressure, they monitor your EKG, and then within 15 minutes or so of doing that, they they do another series of images of your heart uh, stressed, post-exercise. Tomorrow, I go in for a sonogram, and, and I guess I'll get the scoop, get the skinny on my ticker, and I, and then I'll, I'll then I'll, I'll proceed accordingly. I'll, I'll know what to do then, as opposed to dealing with my anxiety or the source of my fear or panic or inability to uh, be trusting in an intimate relationship and my need and desire to to isolate and compulsively be, be filled with dread. As opposed to getting to the source of that trauma and working through it and grieving properly, I'll just focus on whatever it is next. That will take me to a fucking doctor. But I'll tell you, man, just sitting, just sitting in equipment, you know, and the woman who was in charge of shooting me up and taking the pictures of my heart was like, just out of her mind, like intense and crazy and like, hi, how are you? What's going on? This is where we're going to do this. Please put your arms up. Please put your arms up. Okay. You know, when there's just someone's trying to act, you know, enthusiastically polite, but at the core is just fury, just pure fury. And just you're just you're interacting with this weird template that just does not fit. I, I literally said, like, usually I'm at, I'm nervous at the doctor, and I was just telling doing what she said and saying thank you and stuff. But at some point, when she was loading up a syringe, I said, "How you doing? You okay today? You okay?" She's like, "Yeah, I'm swamped, but I'm okay, just swamped." And I'm like, "All right, there's no bubbles in that fucking tube, are there? Because I'd like to live through the test." she leveled off though but Jesus Christ I mean like you know if you have a if you're gonna be in that sort of they're just going on business as usual this is the other thing I can't it's just baffling to me I'm in there to. I I have to assume that they give people bad news about their fucking tickers every day and that you know at, at some point when you work in a doctor's office or you are a doctor you realize that You know, planned obsolescence or obsolescence in general is just part of the human condition. And people are going to come and go, not just in the office, but off the fucking mortal coil. And, you know, you just have to deal with that. That's part of the job. Oh, that guy. Yeah, he was in here. It wasn't good. I guess he didn't make it. But for God's sakes, try not to make it business as usual while you're in there. Try to focus a little bit. I mean, they were talking about. I, I was on the treadmill with the, you know, all these wires hanging off me, looking at the EKG, and they're like, "So that what? You have to be out of here by one thirty, right?" And the woman, the intense woman, said to the woman working, "She's like, yeah." And the doctor's not even here yet. Yeah, I, I know. I I heard he was two minutes away. I'm like, man, well, you know, can we not have that conversation? You know, in I want to I want to think that people care and that there's hope and that you're organized and that you know that my shit is you, you've got my right. The doctor literally came into the room for for a minute. I said, "Did you get my?" My test results from the other places like I'll check. And then apparently he left because a new doctor came in and go, where are we with this? And then the woman who was over the top with intensity stuck another syringe into the dangling IV off my arm. But I'm here to tell the tale and we'll see what happens tomorrow. Hey, Brian Jones made some new mugs. Yeah. Yeah. WTF mugs, I'm not going to tweet them. I'm telling you first, okay? I'm telling you first. You can go to brianrjones.com for the new WTF mugs. If you've listened this far into the monologue, you'll get a mug. If you wanted a mug, yet you fast forward through the monologue, I don't know what to tell you. Guess it's not your day. Whew, what else, folks? What else? Hey, very excited about this conversation with Peter Bogdanovich. I hope you enjoy it. Nice to see you, Mr. Bogdanovich. Nice
1: to see you. Mom. Yeah,
0: I uh, I'm excited to talk to you, but it, it sometimes it's tricky because um, you've been around a while. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and uh, and I know you have this this new film coming out, but I'm sort of hung up a little bit on the whole history of your work. W- what do you think is the primary difference in the way that people you know take in film now? Because I know you come from a time where where film was really a lot of time was spent understanding it, reading into it, thinking about it. There was a whole culture around that that seems to have faded away.
1: Yeah. Yes, it's disappeared. Yeah. In
0: film culture in
1: America is is non-existent right now. It was barely existent to begin with, wasn't it? Well, I mean, there was a period in the in the fifty late fifties and sixties yeah. when it was it was quite a bit of stuff going on because. The French New Wave influence made its way across over here. Cahiers de Cinema, Cahiers right? Cahiers de Cinema and uh, all those guys that were on Cahiers, whether it was Truffaut or Eric Romer or Jean-Luc Godard, they all you know, made films and, yeah. and were writing about films in the 50s and then made films in the late 50s and then 16s. Saris, Andrew Sarris, picked and it in, up in, here? In New York, uh, there was Andy Sarris and me. And uh, a guy at the New York Times named Eugene Archer, who was uh-huh. sort of a secret oturist. Uh huh. And then there was a magazine in uh, in England too, Movie, uh huh, which picked up the same kind of uh, critical position. Well,
0: there was something exciting about movies, and it seemed that uh, you know some of the movies or a lot of the movies that were being made are being understood, they're you know classic sort of Hollywood films to, to sort of determine the language. Of cinema at that time, right? And then some of the movies that you guys made now determine, you know, what was great for this generation. But it doesn't seem like anybody's really taking on film that way.
1: No, it, you're right. I mean, there are certain people. Richard Brody in the New Yorker is, uh-huh. is very hip, and Anthony Lane is funny in the New Yorker, and sometimes pretty good. Yeah. the The whole. Thing between Pauline kale for example, right. and Andy Serkis, right. uh, that kind of stuff doesn't exist anymore. No one cares, and it's too big a field. I mean, there's they, h- hardly anything to write about, really. <laughs> the movies aren't very good, even the smaller movies. Well, the, some of the smaller movies, yeah. But I guess is
0: there? A, do you find that there is a tremendous difference? I mean, I know there's a lot of garbage, but I mean, there was also a lot of garbage when you were young too.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. So like sorting there's out. There's always the, a lot of garbage, right? But the but the, the Proportion of quality has has dropped. Uh,
0: right. Well, the proportion itself has grown so large yeah. that uh, you don't even know where where things are what coming from. Period
1: of decadence <laughs> in, in, in terms of movies <laughs> is that the same
0: as decay? And <laughs> it's, it's the same decadence. as decadence. Decay. It's true.
1: Yeah. But when you were when you you started out as a film critic? No, no, no. I started out as an actor. Really. In. Um, in 1955 when I was 15. Really? In New York? Uh, well, I, I got a job. I was studying acting at the American, uh, uh, American Theater, whatever it's called. Theater Institute? Uh, or Amer- what's it called? The American Academy of Dramatic oh, Arts. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They had a Saturday class for teenagers, and I was studying there. And the, the lady that was the main teacher there said, would you like to be an apprentice this summer in Traverse City, Michigan? Uh, They're doing a season of 10 shows, 10 plays, Mm -hmm. and you would be an apprentice and Mm -hmm. you could be acting in the children's uh, theater and also for the main company if there was something for you. Well, I did that, and actually by the seventh week I was playing a lead in one of the plays, and and that was my first. Then I did the next three summers, I also was doing summer Children's theater. theater. Uh, no, uh, New York Shakespeare Festival. Oh yeah? in, in Central Park. Uh-huh. Stratford Shakespeare Festival in Connecticut, and uh, a, a play, a, a theater in Falmouth. It was fascinating. It was also the, that first summer. Yeah, we had some sort of secondary movie stars who oh, yeah. came every every week <laughs> yeah. for them to make some money. A different one every oh, really? week, like Zaza Zazu Pitts, yeah, Richard Arlen, Ver- yeah. Veronica Lake. Really? Oh, yeah. And they would yeah. act. Oh yeah, they would. Do, they would. They were traveling around the country doing this one play, whatever the play was. So it was like Summerstock, in a it way. It was Summerstock. Yeah. it was star Summerstock. Right, right. And with the resident company, would rehearse the play without the star uh-huh. for a week, and then <laughs> she would come or you would come for a couple of days before we opened. Uh-huh. We'd rehearse it once or twice, and then open with Veronica Lake. Veronica Lake. She yeah. was something, right? She's Sylvia Sidney. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Veronica Lake was very short.
0: Really. Amazing. Is, was that the first time you realized, like, ah, oh, it's an illusion.
1: It's an, an <laughs> illusion. Uh, so my first, and then I studied a, st- acting with Stella Adler for four years. So I've been in the show business for sixty years.
0: That's it's it's insane. It must be. How does that feel? Really weird. I, I would imagine. But like, where did you grow up? In the city, Manhattan. Yeah. Right. And what what was your what what, what kind of family? What did your father do? My
1: father was a painter.
0: Like a painter-painter? Yeah, a painter, an artist. And what the, type? What was his, his style?
1: Well, um, sort of post-impressionist, and, oh, yeah. but with an element of the Byzantine as well, because he had very bright colors. Successful? Uh, no, no, artists are very rarely successful while they're alive. It's right. The, the people who make money are the art dealers after they're dead.
0: Do you have some of your father's
1: paintings? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, my sister takes care of that. And it's uh, just you and your sister? Yeah, I have two daughters and and three grandsons. That's
0: exciting. Yeah. How you doing for, as a grandfather?
1: Well, I don't let them call me grandpa because <laughs> then it would make me go into my Walter Brennan impression. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you don't want to hear that, Mister.
0: <laughs> no, grandpa. <huh>? No <laughs> grandpa. What do they call you papa, okay, that's decent. Papa. And what'd your mom do?
1: My mother was working for, uh, in a job she hated for some years, and then she finally ended up. Uh, teaching herself with some help how to make frames. And she became a very, very fine frame maker and framed in my father's paintings.
0: It worked out. Yeah, it they worked were a out. team.
1: They were a team, yeah. So when did the uh, the interest in movies begin? Well, I loved movies from the time I was a kid. My, they took me to the, to see movies uh, all the time. What's your earliest memory of a movie? Well, I, I, I don't remember it terribly well, but I was t- I'm told that I was taken to see Dumbo when yeah. I was three uh-huh. and that I hated it. Yeah. And had to be taken from the theater screaming. So (laughs) I'm wondering if it wasn't some precognition
0: (laughs) to to your future. Get me out of this.
1: (laughs) The first thing I remember really seeing uh, when I was five, Mm -hmm. my parents took me to the Metropolitan Opera. Wow. uh, Which was on 34th Street at that time. And. I saw Don Giovanni, Mozart's Don Giovanni with Ezio Pinza and Zinka Milanov. Mm-hmm. And I remember being scared to death when the guy went to hell at the end. And yeah. The thing opened up and he went, ah. So the opera worked. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> yeah. and um, But movies, I I've always liked movies. Went to my parents. My father took me to the Museum of Modern Art to see silent films. And my father was uh, about 20 years older than my mother. And he basically grew up with silent films. He, mm-hmm. Sound didn't come in until he was thirty. Really? Yeah. So he had a respect for it, and he he communicated that to me. And he was also
0: sophisticated in that because he was a painter. Art was an important part of his life. So he probably went to the museum, the Met.
1: Oh yeah, uh, sure. to, to, he took me. He took me all the time
0: to visit his favorites.
1: Yes, and he took me to to a galleries on Fifty Seventh Street, which used to be the the great place for galleries. It's a gift that yeah. you
0: you come from uh, such a, an appreciation.
1: Yes, and they always did everything they could to encourage me, artistic in my in my artistic endeavors. Supportive, very very supportive
0: in your acting. Yeah, and, did and you- then what happened was yeah.
1: um, there was I had had yeah a column in my high school newspaper a- for four years about
0: movies and theater. Really, yeah. Were you were you mocking? Were you were you mimicking somebody?
1: Or was no? It? I was. I I don't know why I decided to do that, but I did. It was called "As We See It." <laughs> and they said, "Who's the we?" And I said, "It's the royal we." And uh-huh. then, then eventually, anyway,
0: were you a popular kid in high school? Or were you? <laughs> well, I, they they
1: called me Bugs because I did a very good impression of Bugs Bunny from the time I was in kindergarten. Do you bring that back with your grandkids now? I, sometimes. Oh, good. And, um, yeah, they like the Bugs Bunny and Porky Pig there. Uh Uh, (laughs) But I also ended up being called Dean and Jerry and Marlon because I did all those impressions. Dean and and Jerry, what, Jerry Lewis? Martin and Lewis. Oh, yeah? And, um, oh, sure. You did did Dean? I did Dean, yeah.
0: He was something, wasn't he?
1: He was great. I love you. God, he was so good. I just quoted him this morning. I burped and I said, i got enough gas to get to Pittsburgh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You do sound like him.
1: (laughs) Did you ever read that Nick Tosh's book? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: what a great book, huh? It was interesting, yeah. He's he's a hell of a writer, that guy. Very
1: good writer. So, okay, so, so you write your column. I was writing column. a column for four years and in high like school. A, like a dope, and it was a very good, very ritzy high school. It was mm. a collegiate school. Uh-huh. It was a school in the, in the country. Really? 14-something. Really? Yeah. Where the hell was that? It's still a, there? It, yeah, they moved. Mm. But it used to be on 70, 70, 77th Street between Broadway and West End. So these were sophisticated kids? Pretty hip kids. Yeah, a lot of yeah, them, A lot of them wealthy. Right, right. It was like a dope. I didn't realize when I was in high school that I could have gotten f- into movies free writing that column.
0: Oh, right. Work the angle.
1: I could have, but yeah. I didn't realize that until yeah. I got out of high school. And then I, in order to get t- into movies and theater for free, because I was broke, Right. I said I, was, I continued writing for some cockamamie college magazine called Ivy. Yeah. Magazine. Which was... What, went to what, what college? Went to all... Well, I didn't go to college. <laughs> but it went to all the Ivy League colleges. Mm. When I was um, 19, still studying with Stella. I had lied to Stella and said I was 18 when I was 16. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got in, because I was supposed to be 18. But I was tall, and they bought it. And uh, when I was about eighteen or ni- end of 18 or 19, I was sitting in a diner with five actors from from Stella's, and i said well, i'd like to direct you i don't know why i said this
0: who are these actors
1: actors from the, anybody uh, n- nobody famous uh-huh. just a bunch of actors from yeah. the studio from the from the uh Stella's. and i said i'd like to direct you guys in a in a scene uh uh-huh. scene class required was usually two actors doing a scene uh uh-huh. or one actor doing a monologue right well, I got the four or five actors together, and we found a scene from a play by Clifford Odets called The Big Knife, which had a very good... I love st- that. That's a great play. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, that's, good movie, thereby too. Thereby hangs a tale. Yeah. So we did the scene. Which one? Uh, toward the end, something yeah. in the third act. And um, um, when it was over, Stella, st- the class applauded, and Stella stood up and said, Very good, darlings. You're very good, but you've been directed. Who directed you? Uh And they pointed at me. I was in the back of the studio, and they said, Peter. And Stella turned to me, she says, Bravo, darling, brilliant. So I thought, shit, maybe I should just direct the whole play. (laughs) Yeah. So I got the rights from Clifford Odets Uh at the age of 19. Uh, You wrote to him? I wrote to him. I wrote him a long two-page typed letter. Mm -hmm. And two weeks later, he said, okay. I hadn't done a fucking thing. Yeah. And um, he said I could do it. And I, I, then it took me uh, nine months to raise 15 grand to put it on off-Broadway. And we did. And we got really better reviews than the original production, which was Strasburg and uh, and J- John Garfield. And it ran a respectable 63 performances. Jeez. And then I was out of work.
0: Right. Who Still did that a, film? Because uh, it's hard to find that film. Bob Aldrich. Robert what a great... Aldrich. I love that movie, man.
1: Well, the movie wasn't as good as the play. Yeah? But uh, but it's a good movie. Steiger was a trip in that movie. Yeah, he was very funny. Yeah. But they cut some of his best lines, like, yeah. you have pissed away a kingdom today. <laughs> I love that line. Gone. He, that's not in the movie. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, so you're out of work. So I'm out of work. So I started writing... Uh, about movies mm-hmm. and theater and I got in free and um, a guy named Dan Talbot who was an exhibitor and a, and a writer opened a theater two blocks from where I was living with my parents Yeah, called the New Yorker Theater he changed the name of it Yeah, it became a very influential theater the idea of the theater was to run American classics as opposed to foreign films uh-huh. which most of the art houses in New York were running foreign films what year were we at? Uh, sixty. Okay, sixty, sixty-one.
0: So, American classics at that point would have been some of the musicals, the westerns,
1: well, things like the the uh, things like the Informer, Mm -hmm. the Grapes of Wrath, Mm -hmm. things like that. Uh That was sixty, sixty-one, and then I was hired to direct to be the artistic director of a season of summer theater in Phoenicia, New York, and we did ten plays. I directed four of them. What were they? Well, the four I did was Tennessee Williams, Cameron O'Reill, uh-huh. uh, Kaufman and Hart's Once in a Lifetime, uh, uh, another play by Clifford called um, Rocket to the Moon, and a play by Agatha Christie called Ten Little Indians. And we had good success, particularly with all of them were successful. I supervised the other six shows. It was quite an interesting summer. So com-
0: so coming into theater, though, like in directing theater, did did you... Did you study that, or was it more intuitive for you?
1: Well, I saw about 350 plays in New York on Broadway. So I, I st- My mother insisted that I go to the theater. When you were a kid? When I was 13. And I raised a ruckus. I said, I don't want to go to the theater. I want to see Martin and Lewis yeah. in the movie that had just opened. Right. And she said, you're going to the theater. So you
0: saw that. So you really went all the time. So you saw everything
1: Well she sent me to this she's made, made, insisted that I go to this play. It was mm-hmm. Henry Fonda mm-hmm. in a play called Point of No Return. I remember sitting in the last row of the balcony and I loved it. I didn't think I would love it but I loved it. What I was, was it 13. about him? I don't know, it's just great. And, uh,
0: but did you feel it? Because I went to see some theater recently, and I tried to define, like I talked about it just the other day, the importance of theater, what exactly it is. There's something that you can't get anywhere else. It's like it's a visceral experience, well, it's, and it's, it's moving. It's live, yeah. and,
1: and it's exciting. And then after that, I went every weekend to the play. I must have seen 350 shows between 1952 and, and when I moved out of L.A., you, uh, New York. And, do you
0: remember like moments where you were like, holy shit,
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw Cannon on a Hot Tin Roof, directed by Kazan. and Oh, my God. I saw Ben Gazzara's first thing in End as a Man, which is really? brilliant. That's the first review I wrote. For Ben? was Ben Gazzara in End as a Man, which was written by Calder Willingham, based on his book about a Southern military academy. He, he plays a kind of a sadistic guy. He was very good and very funny, actually.
0: And that was the beginning uh, for him. That was, for the, Gazzara. made him a star, yeah. Yeah.
1: Overnight, really. So many
0: people got launched at a theater back then. I mean, yeah. it made a big difference. Oh, sure,
1: sure. Doesn't
0: happen at all anymore. That goes yeah. the other way now.
1: Doesn't seem to happen at all
0: anymore. No, because like now, you 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 become a movie star or a TV star, then they they Brilliant. drag you to Broadway, Broadway to sell yeah. the
1: play. Yeah, that's right.
0: It's interesting. I didn't even realize that how much how many people came out of the John Garfield you mentioned. I mean, he oh, must I'm sure have been he was a... with the group. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Well, that was Strasberg's people.
1: Uh, it was Strasberg the actors P- group? Harold, uh, the, the group theater. The group theater. It was Strasberg Harold Clerman? And um, and Stella. And then the
0: American Method came after that.
1: Well, it was around that time. Mm-hmm. What happened was- And
0: Odette was involved too, right? Who? Uh, Clifford Odette. Yeah, he was the kind of the
1: uh, house playwright right, for, the, right. group, for yeah. the group. He wrote Waiting for Lefty, mm-hmm. which was a big success. And
0: Golden, what was the other one? Golden, Golden Boy? Golden Boy. Oh, that's, yeah. I saw a re- revival of that not too long ago. It was great.
1: Yeah, it's terrific. So anyway, with all that experience in the theater, I still broke. Yeah. And uh, started writing for this magazine, and this fella got the New Yorker Mm -hmm. two blocks from where I lived, and I went to see him, and I said, I live two blocks away, and I like to get in free. And I wrote, uh, he said, did you write a program note for Intolerance a Mm -hmm. couple of months ago? I said, yeah, it wasn't very good. He said, you're right, it wasn't very good. (laughs) And we became friends. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I helped him programming the theater a little bit, and uh, and, um, then I... He he booked Orson Welles's Othello, a film, mm-hmm. and I wrote a program note for it for it in which I called it the best Shakespeare film ever made, mm-hmm. which was absolutely diametrically opposed to what everybody else was saying, which was that Laurence Olivier's movies were the best Shakespeare. Films. What, was, I,
0: what was around then? Hamlet.
1: Well, he did Hamlet and and Henry V. Right. And, yeah. And I I didn't like those, but I mean they were okay. But Orson's made a made a movie. Yeah. So, I wrote this not too long uh, program note. Yeah. About two months later, I get a call from Richard Griffith, who's the, who is the curator of the Museum, Museum of Modern Art Live Film Library. And he says, We're going to do a retrospective, the first in the United States, of Orson Welles' films. And we'd like you to curate it and write oh the my accompanying God. monograph. How old were you? Uh, 22. Wow. 21. And that's MoMA calling. MoMA calling, yeah.
0: Orson Welles retrospective yeah, at the that first point in
1: the United States how, what how many was he still making features yeah, he at was that shooting time? the trial in Europe.
0: Okay, so he was almost done in a way.
1: Well, no, he had still a few more pictures. Mm-hmm. So, um I said, "Why don't why are you asking me?" I said, <laughs> y- "You usually do this, Dick. Why why are you asking me?" He yeah. says, He's well, I don't he's, I don't like Orson Welles, but, but a lot of our members do. And our our, uh, associates in in Europe think he's great and so on. And we read your program note, and you obviously are a partisan, Mm. so we'd like you to do it. (laughs) You like
0: the guy, and you're smart. Why don't you do it? That's right. They paid me
1: 50 bucks. (laughs) (laughs) To curate the thing? To curate the thing and to write the monograph, which was published by Doubleday and and the museum. What what
0: was the process of curating? You just went film for film? Got the films for them. Okay. So all of them.
1: All the all the films. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a six. It was a three to six month retrospective, and it was very popular.
0: And you had seen all the films already.
1: I had made. If I hadn't, I saw them. Yeah, I, I'd seen most of them.
0: Because you you, delved, you developed a relationship with Wells later. Well, that was later,
1: right? Uh, seven years later. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so th- that was the first thing I did for the museum. Yeah. And around the same time, I had gone to California on my own. I saved up enough money and i went i think it was in early 61 or 62 i can't remember now yeah i went to convince clifford or to let me do another play which one night music uhhuh which he didn't let me do why he didn't want to do he said he didn't want to do any more one was enough he, he got he he <laughs> he 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 got the temperature of the new york theater and it still wasn't on his side totally so he, he backed off but what was he doing was in hollywood yeah writing scripts what, like, what, what were some of his movies? Well, the, the best one is Sweet Smell of Success. Okay. And uh, he was also directing. He directed okay. a, a movie called The Story on Page One.
0: So he didn't have any weird ethical problem with that? Because he was sort of like a proletariat guy.
1: Well, he was. and uh, Well, that's a long story. I think he, he was one of the guys that was called up in front of the House on American yeah. Activities yeah. Committee. And he gave some names, and I think that, that crushed him. Yeah, I think it did yeah
0: didn't fare well for the rats no they and personally they did it did, after all was said and done not too many of them could live with it
1: no he, he couldn't
0: sterling hayden either really
1: yeah so anyway i yeah. went to california to talk to clifford but i by this point i was on the screening lists yeah. of all i knew all the publicity people at various studios right so I got in. I said, I said, and I had a friend of mine at Harper's Magazine, Bob Silvers, yeah, who eventually started the New York Review of Books, yeah. And he, he said, okay. He wrote me a letter saying, okay, he was at Harper's. He said, I will read anything you write about yeah. about Hollywood, right? So I said, I have an assignment from Harper's to do a piece about the state of the art about Hollywood, about Hollywood, <laughs> state <laughs> of the <laughs> art in <laughs> Hollywood, yeah. and I got to meet everybody, yeah. Who were those people? Well, I mean, I watched uh, Bob Wise directing West Side Story, and I watched. Uh, really, I met Hitchcock, and I met Cary Grant. Well, Cary Grant actually, I met through through Clifford because they were very good friends.
0: You met Hitchcock. Was that a long meeting? Did you was, was Did you have a conversation?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, I had a conversation with him. He he kicks off the, well, I wrote an article eventually mm-hmm. about this whole trip. Yeah. And uh, Harper's passed. And on really? it, and uh, the New Yorker passed on it. But what? then I just accidentally was introduced to the managing editor of Esquire, right, Harold Hayes, the uh-huh. legendary Harold Hayes, and I, I told him about the piece. He read it. He loved it, and they used it as the lead piece in their August 1962 issue. And that was the first thing I did for Esquire. And I did subsequent maybe ten articles for Esquire. I got, got paid. That's how I lived.
0: Writing for... For
1: Esquire. And the irony is, then I did a, another play. Directed 16, a play. Another play. Which one? Which we had done in summer theater called Once in a Lifetime, uh-huh. a comedy about Hollywood. We had 13 sold-out previews, played great, but opening night was not a good night. Uh-huh. And it, we got we got sort of mixed reviews, but we didn't have enough money to keep rolling, so we closed after one night. It was very depressing. And... Um, it was because we were under finance. That's a whole long story. Anyway, um, a, friend of, a friend of ours, who, who I was married by this time, uh, a friend of ours who I'd met when I was doing a profile on Jerry Lewis for Esquire.
0: Did you sit down with Jerry?
1: Oh well, yeah, I was with Jerry for three weeks. Isn't it, it's interesting
0: to me that back in the day people would spend a month with people doing uh, interviews. Yeah. So you spent that long with what, a, like, a, like a, not even a 50-year-old Jerry Lewis?
1: Oh, he was 35
0: unbelievable. And what was what was that experience like? Very
1: very interesting. Yeah. And I wrote a very long piece. It was called they said it was the longest profile ever published by Esquire. What did
0: you find complex about him?
1: Well, he was pretty complicated guy. In what way? Well, hard to say. I mean, he was funny, but he was also in, in, introspective and he was all over the place. He was directing, producing, writing, starring.
0: Then, what did you think of his reputation as being a, a, an auteur uh, and, and respected in France? What did you think of, of his films as a critic?
1: I liked some of them. Yeah. And um, I met his favorite director, who was Frank Tashlin, mm-hmm. who was also a comedy, a, a cartoon director. Uh-huh. Anyway, Frank came to New York, came to see us. Yeah. He said, what do you want to direct, theater or movies? Yeah. I said, movies. He yeah. said, well, what are you doing in New York? You should come We make them in LA. Yeah. Within four months, Polly and I, my first wife, moved to Los Angeles. You had children to, already? N- no, Not with yet. the express purpose of getting into the movies. And a year after we arrived, at a by co- absolute coincidence, I, I was at the same showing of a movie. It wasn't a preview or anything. Uh-huh. It was the same showing of a movie called uh, Bay of Angels, a French film. And and sitting behind me was Roger Corman. Right. Who was with somebody who knew somebody I was with. And I was introduced to Roger Corman. And you
0: knew him, obviously, at that time. Of him. Of him. Yeah.
1: And he said, um, I read your stuff in Esquire. Right. Would you like to write for movies? (laughs) I said, yes.
0: (laughs) That's what you thought. Like, this is the the best. uh, Everything's
1: working out. It's amazing. And so within a year... Not only was I, did he offer me a job writing movies, he asked me to work with him on the film he was going to direct. First, he asked me to read the script and give me his opinion, give, give him my opinion. And uh, I said, it's terrible. He said, yeah, I know, it's terrible. He said, I, I'd like you to do a rewrite. He said, I'll pay you $300 and no credit. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: But at that time, so you had obviously read a lot of plays worked in a lot of plays directed plays you 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 were taking apart movies you were on sort of the cutting edge of film criticism you were involved in that you understood how it all worked but had you written a screenplay at that time and no, before so you, no. but you knew the form
1: well i i knew it too to, you know i'd seen enough movies to know the i get the idea and i'd read a lot of screenplays
2: uh-huh.
1: but i forgot to mention that after the wells retrospective at the museum. Uh-huh the same place i met harold hayes a, a esquire guy yeah. i saw a film by howard hawks called hatari uh-huh. which was his new film and i called my friend at paramount and i said look if i can get the museum of modern art to do a hawks retrospective would paramount pay for it and they said and they got back to me i said yes so i called richard griffith and i said w- w- if if you'll put on a hawks retrospective paramount i mean uh, yeah paramount will pay for it mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. So I was got. I, I got paid by Paramount for the first money I made from movies, two hundred a week, <laughs> to write the uh, monograph, for interview the Hawks. I went to California, interview Hawks, and find all the films.
0: What was how was that for you?
1: Oh, he was became a lifelong friend. He you know, as did Jerry. As did Jerry Lewis you know, to this day. To this day, yeah. I called him the other day. Really? Oh, sure. Uh, the other day I called him about a year ago. I yeah. called him, Jerry, it's been 50 years we've known each other. You realize we're having our 50th anniversary? Yeah. Hey, Sam, Peter says it's been 50 years since we know each other. <laughs> that's, a, that's what you got. <laughs> yeah. He was very happy about that. What? Anyway, so I did the retrospective of Howard Hawks, which was the first in the United States also. And the following year I said to the museum, how about Hitchcock? Let's do retrospective. And they said, fine. And we got Universal to pay so for that. So this is the mid-60s. This was Orson was 61. Yeah. Hawk 62. Hitchcock 62. So
0: all these guys were still making movies. Oh, yeah. And like oh, uh, yeah. some of it- like,
1: Hitchcock's retrospective was coordinated with the opening of The Birds. Oh, my God. And, uh, and I met Hitchcock again. I'd already met him and did, and did the monograph for that. And Universal paid for that. And then I left. After that, I left uh, New York and went to California.
0: So you, so okay. So Corman offers you this writing job. Now I got to assume, you know, given what you've taken in in your life up to that point, and given that you were intellectually assessing the styles of all these guys, that once you started to get these opportunities, that there must have been a, tr- a tremendous amount of pressure by these, these your 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 own brain around how you were going to take this stuff on.
1: Not really. No. The first thing I did was, or Roger asked me to do a rewrite on that Wild Angel yeah. script. It was a terrible script. Right. And I rewrote about 80 for 80% of it. Right. And he loved it. Yeah. Shot it. Yeah and he kept running out of time and he wasn't going to go over 3 weeks so he kept saying he said well, we'll, I can't do this we'll do it the second unit. Yeah. I said who's going to direct the second unit? He said I don't know anybody can direct second unit. My secretary can direct. You can direct it. Yeah. I said well I'd like to direct it. Well all right we'll see. So I did direct the second unit.
0: Now this is so you're coming into it with no film directing experience and you've got a camera guy and You got some lighting guys and you got your sound guys. I had the whole crew. Right, but you, were, but you had been watching how Corman was doing Oh, it.
1: yeah, and I'd watched John Ford directing for three weeks since Monument Valley. When you interviewed when you? When I did a piece on him for Esquire. So what, what, was, what was Ford directing at that time? Cheyenne Autumn. Huh. And I watched Hawks directing uh, Rio Bravo. Really? Uh, uh, El Dorado. With, was that Dean? No, no, that's, no uh, Dean is in Rio Bravo, but this was this was Bob Mitchum and John Wayne. Bob
0: Mitchum, yeah. John Wayne, yeah.
1: So you're hanging out with these guys, yeah, for a, a week and a half. And you're like this little kid almost. Well, I was a kid,
0: so you I was uh, wh- very young. Now, wh- what was your demeanor around these guys? Were, were you were you gracious or annoying or? <laughs> no, they
1: liked me. They liked you. Yeah, Ford liked me. He may picked on me all the time, but he right. liked me and Mitchum. Jesus and- Christ, Bogdanovich, is that all you can do? Is ask questions? <laughs> Have you never even heard of the de- declarative sentence? <laughs> <laughs> and what was Mitchum like? Edgy. Yeah. Edgy and kind of outrageous. You know, he kind of shocked me and my wife ex-wife
0: and what'd your wife do at that time was she in the business was she She I-
1: uh, was i hired her for that season of summer theater that i was the artistic director oh in new york i hired her because she's a costume she started as a costume oh, okay. designer okay okay and i tried to push her into designing sets mm-hmm. she was scared too but then she did when we finally when i started making movies she did she oh did, really she did the production design
0: now and john wayne you spent a lot of time with right
1: Later, I spent more time with him, but quite a bit. Uh, on on that, that one week or week and a half we were there. I talked to him quite a bit. And like when I when I think about like just a
0: couple of guys you mentioned uh, outside of the directors, someone like Jerry Lewis and like John Wayne were challenging kind of characters in a way.
1: Well, they were, but they seemed to like me.
0: Yeah. Did you find that the the creativity like like with someone like Jerry Lewis, who's become sort of this weird caricature of himself. Did you find an intelligence there that was surprising? He was
1: very smart. Yeah? Yeah, very bright. And John? was sensitive. And yeah. Duke, Duke was was extremely interesting and, and and like a kid. He was like a, like a huge 10-year-old. Uh-huh. He, was, he loved making movies. He yeah. never went to his trailer. Yeah. He would sit around on the set playing with his six-shooter or playing with the rifle uh-huh. and smoking and talking to the crew and, and talk to me a lot. Like know? to be out in it. Yeah, he never went to his trailer. Mitchum was always in his trailer.
0: Uh huh. So okay, so you you, you spent all this time, and now you're out, and you did the you wrote the movie. You're doing okay, second unit. So there's second, your big that break. That was a big break. Yeah, yes. right.
1: And I did the second unit. Actually, I did the I worked with the first unit because there was some scenes that he had dropped with Peter Fonda and Nancy Sinatra that I had to get, and some scenes with Bruce Dern.
0: So the Corman crew at that time. The people, the actors that were around, because I, 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 don't think any, I don't have a sense. So, why don't you give me a sense of of that operation over there?
1: Well, Roger, you know, was down and dirty. It was do it fast. Right, but he was his own thing, right? Yeah, he were. He, this picture was made for American International studio but
0: i got the feeling that it was some sort of weird almost like shadow studio system over there that you know he had a crew of actors and a crew of shooters that he you know used all, always because he was making how many movies a year well he made quite a few right, right? He
1: produced quite a few and directed
0: uh-huh so
1: they, it was it must have been sort of a lively place well, it was very lively yeah and uh i went uh, I, I shot the stuff and he called me in his office when he yeah. says The editor was Monty Hellman, and he became a director. Roger calls me into his office. and says, Monty says your stuff doesn't cut. I said, what do you mean it doesn't cut? Yeah. He said, it doesn't cut. I said, well, we probably cut it wrong. He said, well, go down and look at it. So I looked at it. I said, it's cut wrong. So I said to Roger, it's cut wrong. He said, well, cut it yourself then. I said, well, I don't know how to cut. He said, don't you know how to use a machine? I said, no. He said, well, go downstairs. Dennis will show you. (laughs) The editing machine, the editing machine. Yeah, that was how I learned to edit. Just start doing it. (laughs) <laughs> that was Roger. He'd throw you in the ocean and say swim. If you just didn't swim, you would drown. That was it.
0: How long did you spend over there? Did you spend a lot of time at Corman's operation? Oh, I, I worked
1: on this this movie for twenty two weeks. So was and did everything well, that you could possibly do? Looked for locations, rewrote the script, directed the f- so first it's sort of your movie. And, well, I had a lot to do with it, and it was most successful movie in Roger's career. Really huge hit. What what was the title of it? The Wild Angels. Uh huh. And it, it actually was the first. Successful off Hollywood movie uh-huh. before before Bonnie and Clyde. You know? Right. It was, it was sort of the beginning of the new Hollywood in a way because it was a very counterculture movie. Mm hmm. It wasn't a great movie. But right. It was a very counterculture, and it was very successful. Who
0: else did you meet when you were there during that twenty-two weeks? Who was coming through? Was Nicholson around? Was De Niro around? I met was
1: Jack, but not then. I met him later. Yeah. He was. He worked with with with, with Roger. Anyway, the picture was a, quite a big success. Uh huh. And then he uh, felt uh, that I had had something to do with that, so he offered me a movie to direct myself with
0: your name on it. Yeah, with my name on it. And that, and that was
1: Targets. Targets. Uh huh. That began with him saying, uh, Boris Karloff owes me two days' work. I said, okay. And this is like Boris Karloff at 70, right? 79. <laughs> <laughs> he owes him two days' work. And he says, now, here's what I want you to do. Uh-huh. I want you to shoot two di- uh, shoot 20 minutes with Karloff in two days. You can do that. Yeah, I've shot whole pictures in two days. Right. He says, and then I want you to get a bunch of other actors and shoot uh, 20 minutes with them. So now I've got 40 minutes. And the, and the, and the movie was about a, 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 a psychopathic sniper, right? Well, that wasn't. Any, it wasn't anything. It was uh. just, all it was was... <laughs> Where was the script? There was no script.
0: <laughs> what does that mean?
1: <clears throat> he basically was telling me how he wanted me to make a movie. Okay. Shoot uh, shoot Roger um Carlov for yeah. two days, get yeah. twenty minutes. Right. Shoot use twenty minutes of footage from another picture that he'd made called the Terror with with Boris Karloff and Jack Nicholson as a matter of fact. Use twenty minutes of footage from that. Yeah. And now I've got forty minutes of Karloff. And now Doing what? Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. And then uh <laughs> you shoot with some other actors for ten days and uh-huh. forty minutes and now I have right. a new eighty minute Karloff picture. Will you do it? I said sure. So we spent uh, uh, Polly and I spent some time trying to figure out what the fuck to do with Boris Karloff in two days. And what was he like? I hadn't met him yet. Uh, He was in London, right? In England. Well, when I was in New York, just recently before that, Harold Hayes, the editor of Esquire, Mm -hmm. had said to me, "You know, you ought to make a movie, buddy, about that guy in Texas who shot all those people, Charles Whitman, at the college." He went up to the University of yeah. Texas Tower and yeah. shot about thirty people. Mm-hmm. It was one of the first of those kind of incidents, yeah. which have proliferated, proliferated since yeah. then. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm not going to make a movie about that. And then we were working with Carl. We we're trying to figure out what the hell to do with Karloff. Yeah. We couldn't imagine him being a heavy. It was too he's too old. Yeah. And that kind of Victorian horror didn't seem to me very horrible anymore. And we ran the Terror, a terrible movie. And I was shaving one morning, trying to figure out what the hell to do with this thing. And I was shaving, and I thought to myself, I know what I'll do. We'll begin the picture with the end of the terror, and the lights will come up in a projection room. Yeah. And Boris will be sitting there next to Roger, and he'll turn to Roger and say, that is unquestionably one of the worst films ever made. That's, that's a scene you were going to shoot with Boris. I, I, made, I made a joke yeah. for myself. Right. And I said, wait a second, that's not a bad idea if he's an actor yeah. in a movie. Yeah. We don't have to use we can we, we don't have to we don't have to justify that uh, material. So it
0: was, right, okay. So it was your way of getting around. Of getting around yeah.
1: it. He's an actor. Yeah. And then we thought, if he's an actor, and he wants to quit acting because his kind of horror isn't horrible anymore. Right. What is horrible is this guy in Texas who shot thirty people. That's modern modern horror. Right. So we we said that's the script. Right. So we wrote a script cross cutting between these two. One wants to retire. The other one is on a rampage. Uh uh-huh. Roger read it and said, this is a brilliant script, best script I've, I've ha- ever had to produce. But you can't possibly shoot all that stuff with Karloff in two days, uh, so you'll have to rewrite it. I said, Roger, you just said it was the best script. You've done blah, 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 Anyway, finally, we got Karloff for five days. Oh, uh, he, he, he liked it. Paid the extra for He liked it. Boris loved the script, yeah. and Roger liked it and paid the extra few bucks Okay, for, for five, three more days. We still had to shoot Boris in five days, half right. the script in five days.
0: And he was 79.
1: 79. He was great. He he liked me. He didn't like Roger at all, but um, he liked me, and we got along very well, and uh, he liked the script. Uh Uh-huh. And we shot the whole picture in 23 days. And that was your first... That was my first film.
0: And how'd that do?
1: Not well. Uh, What happened was I didn't want American International to release it, so I... Had a friend of mine, uh, actually Jerry Lewis's secretary, mm-hmm. Carol Saracino. Had she had been <laughs> yeah, Jerry's secretary? Right. She was now working for Bob Evans, who was mm-hmm. the head of the studio at Paramount. Right. I Already? Taught, yeah.
0: In the late '60s, mid '60s. This is
1: '67, '67, okay. '68. So he just gotten the job? In recently. Mm-hmm. And I said to Carol, "Can you get Evans to see my picture?" And she said, "I don't know. I'll try." I get a phone call a couple of weeks later from Bob Evans. He says, you know, you ruined my evening last night. I said, what, what do you mean? He said, "I wanted to sell, uh, uh, Carol's been bugging me to look at your movie. I thought I'd look at a reel and go to dinner. I couldn't turn the fucking thing off. We want to buy it. Yeah. And that's what happened.
0: And that was the beginning of your relationship with Bob Evans. With
1: Bob Evans. Signed a seven-picture deal.
0: Seven-picture deal.
1: Yeah. And um, they didn't use me on any of them. And you weren't 30 yet? Oh, how old was I? Uh, no, I wasn't 30 yet. 1968 i was um 28.
0: well can we speak to that for a minute about what you said is is that the 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 first corman film that you were involved with was really the turning of the tide in terms of the the studio system uh their their inability to see what the new market was Mm -hmm. and and i don't know that corm corman was necessarily on the pulse of that but certainly he was was.
1: yeah he did the trip after that
0: okay So that was the beginning of of their their slipping and you guys finding your way in.
1: It was the new Hollywood
0: beginning. But it happened sort of in a weird way that they they had lost traction, right? Was it a natural evolution? No,
1: it was all kind of coincidental. Oh, it was? I think.
0: Yeah, that that Bob Evans got that job and that he was-
1: Yeah, Bob uh, was very bright Uh and sort of an old-fashioned kind of studio head, actually. And things were interesting at that period.
0: And uh, when did you start m- finding your, or meeting these other guys that were involved in that, like Coppola that, around and around uh, that time, Friedkin? Who are your your contemporaries that you were close with?
1: None of them. <laughs> I didn't get along with any of them. Why? I liked the older people. I liked Cary Grant. I didn't want to spend time with Jack
0: because you had a respect for that for their work.
1: I like what they did. Yeah. I wasn't friendly with any of those directors, actually. But uh, you sort of
0: lumped in with I them. I met them.
1: Yeah, and uh, guy you know I didn't didn't particularly get along with them. Were either.
0: they friends? Were, were, were you an
1: outsider? Kind of. Uh huh. I didn't hang around with those guys.
0: Um, why? Because they were living it up, or you just? No, didn't...
1: I just it wasn't my thing. I don't know. I, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird. You didn't like to party. No, I wasn't a party. In fact, what happened was then. Uh Targets was my opened the door to a lot of things. Uh-huh. It got pretty good reviews. Yeah. The Times reviewed it twice in the uh-huh. New York Times and and we showed it to a producer named Bert Schneider, who was the head of was the head of a company called BBS, which was Bob Rafelson, who was a director, who had made five Easy pieces. Very, yeah, yeah, it's great. And um and uh, Steve Blauner and and, and, Steve, and Bert Schneider. And, um, did you
0: get along with Rafelson?
1: Yeah, I did very much. Is he still around? Yeah, he lives in Aspen now. Um, so we showed Bert Schneider uh, at seen targets, and he yeah. says to me, if you ever have a picture you want to make, bring it to us, we'd like to work with you. Okay. So I, through a series of, odd circum- coincidences I read a book called The Last Picture Show by Larry McMurtry yeah and I said I'd like to make this and I sent it and I called Bob Bert Schneider and I yeah. said I'd like to make the last picture show yeah and here's the book I mean I, I, t- I he said well send me the book I said why don't you buy it
0: right <laughs> yeah
1: and he bought it and read it and said we'd like to make it right and so I did And now what, okay, so let's talk. That was the, that
0: That was, and then that's history. That's history. That made me a star. It did make you a star, and you know, it was a, at that time, it was a provocative decision to shoot in black and white. Very, yeah. And I imagine you had a fight for that.
1: Well, that's a funny story. You want to hear it? Yeah, sure. That's why you're here. Um... I was talking to Orson Welles, whom I'd gotten to know after seven years. He called me suddenly after what, you de- after
0: I, the retrospective. Yes, uh-huh. seven
1: years after the retrospective. Uh-huh. By now, I had made targets, and I was married, and I had a, a, a daughter. Uh-huh. We had another one after that, but and Orson calls me. He says, "Peter Macdonald," says, "Yes." He says, "This is Orson Welles." I can't tell you how long I wanted to meet you. Uh-huh. I said, "That's my line." <laughs> he said, "I said, why would you want to meet me?" He said, "Because you have written." The truest words ever published about me. Pause in English. <laughs> and and uh, I said, "Really?" He said, "What are you doing tomorrow?" When you want to meet me at the Polo Lounge, and I said, "Sure." And I, that's how we met. So I got to know him.
0: Where was he at then? I mean, what was his?
1: He had. He was doing Dean Martin's show and Tonight Show, and so um, he'd
0: become a, a sort of a clown.
1: Well, you know, he's kidding around a lot, and he, it was kept him going. And he, made, uh, he had made The Trial and had made Chimes at Midnight, a Falstaff movie, just before I met him, which I loved. Um, but when you say it was keeping
0: him going, I mean, this guy was a genius. Had Hollywood abandon him?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah, he couldn't get a job.
0: For what reason?
1: He never had a hit picture. Hmm. That's basically what it was all about. Anyway, um, so I'm sitting with Orson at breakfast, and I said, "I'd like to, in this, in this film I'm making, I'd like to get that depth of field that you got with Toland, with um, Citizen Kane and yeah. A Touch of Evil." Who was that? Was that Toland? It was, it was Greg Toland. Greg Toland, Tolan, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he said, "You'll never get it in color." I said, "Well, I, I think the film has gotten faster now. Maybe we, you'll never get it in color." So what do I do then? You shoot it in black and white. I said, well, I'd love to shoot it in black and white, but I don't think they'll let me. Have you asked? (laughs) No, I haven't. Well, why don't you ask? You know what I say about black and white, don't you? Know what? It's the actor's friend. Uh Why do you say that, Orson? Because every performance looks better in black and white. Uh Name me a great performance in color. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: I wasn't going to argue with him. So I went to Bert (laughs) Schneider, and I said, I'd like to shoot it in black and white. He says, Why? I said, well, Orson I, told me. I, I almost said that. <laughs> I said, uh, uh, I think we can get the period flavor quicker. Uh-huh. And I think the performances will look better. And he said, oh, and he came, got back to me a week later. He said, OK, go ahead. A couple of years later, I asked him, how come you let me do it so easily? He said, I thought it would be a novelty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was right. Was it cheaper? Marginally. Right didn't make much difference.
0: It was a novelty. It, it demanded yeah. attention. Yeah.
1: Mhm. So that was a big
0: hit and then and that was the first movie for what? Jeff Bridges maybe? The it, it first it, time he
1: got nominated for an Oscar.
0: And and what Timothy Bottoms was it?
1: Yeah, Tim Bottoms And Civil uh, Shepherd, course, which man. And what and and, and, and uh, won the Oscar, Ben Johnson. Won ben the Johnson. Oscar. We got eight nominations. Got you
0: were a, nominated for director and script. Yeah. And you're not even 30
1: uh was i 30 that was 1971 i was yeah i was 31 32 so this
0: is this is mind-blowing this is like this is a huge deal
1: huge deal yeah.
0: i mean un- unbelievable did it you also
1: got great reviews i mean we, we got it's a great movie thank i mean you know that newsweek said it was the best film by a young american director since citizen kane
0: oh my god did orson call you
1: yeah, he sent me a telegram. It oh. said, "Opening, reading your ma- reading your notices is like opening presents for Christmas.
0: Ah, oh, shit. That's nice. Sweet, isn't it? Yeah, did he see it?
1: Yeah, he saw it. He said, that's not the script I read. He didn't like the script. Oh. <laughs> he said, that's not the script I read. I said, yes, it is. He said, no, it isn't. You transformed it.
0: Did you ever think about using him as an actor?
1: Oh, yeah. We almost did Nickelodeon together.
0: He didn't? What happened?
1: I don't know. Yeah. It just didn't work out. The studio didn't want to pay him his money, and he got pissed off, and didn't
0: work out. So after last picture show, I mean, what was the pressure on you now that you were the 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 new kid in town? And no, and what
1: happened was, uh, Mark was, it wasn't like that. What happened was, I was at. Uh, did it make money? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, a lot of money. Picture only cost a million three. Uh huh. And it made I think thirty million or something. Uh huh. Did very well. Um. The picture was barely, f- not even finished, not not quite completely finished. Yeah. And uh, I get a call from my agent, and he says, Steve McQueen's looking for a director mm-hmm. to do this new movie, The Getaway. And um, we'd like like Steve to see uh, The Last Picture Show. Mm-hmm. So Steve comes in, runs The Last Picture Show, comes out of it, and he comes over to me, he says, you're a filmmaker, man. I'm just an actor. You're a filmmaker. I want to work with you. And yeah. we started, and they, they hired me to do it. Good guy? Movie. He was very nice to mm-hmm. me we started to work on The Getaway with Walter Hill who was going to write it. At that point, I started to work on the script with Walter and um, I get another call from an agent, my agent. She says, Barbara Streisand wants to see the picture. She heard McQueen is Last hiding, Picture Show. Wants to see Last Picture Show. She's supposed to do a picture at Warner's. Yeah. And they'd like you to direct it, but she wants to see the picture first. Mm. So she sees the picture. She loves it. And, um... She says, "I want to do a picture with you," and I said, "Well, I don't like that script that they've sent me." Which one was it? It was called "A Glimpse of Tiger," and it never was made. And I said, "I just don't like it much." And she said, "Well, I want to do a drama with you." I said, "Well, I just did a drama. I want to do a comedy." She said, "I, I just did a comedy." I said, "Well,
0: the Getaway wasn't a comedy."
1: No, but she wasn't going to be in that. This no, was right? A separate movie. Right. But I wasn't. I was just working on the script of the Getaway. Okay. I, I never did make that film, by the way. Who shot it? Was it Peckinpah? Peckinpah. Okay. Right? The reason, not, well, that's another long story. Anyway, um, so I go to John. John Calley was the head of Warner Bros. Yeah, very nice guy. I had met him before, and he calls me into his office and he says, "Peter, yeah, Barbara really wants to make a picture with you, right?" I said, "But John, I don't like that script." He says, "Well, let me put it this way: if you had to do a picture with Barbara Streisand, what would you do?" Yeah, I said, well, "I'd do a kind of a screwball comedy, you know." Uh, Daffy Dame square professor you know like bringing up baby yeah. do it <laughs> really he said yeah who would you get to write it I said well I worked at Esquire with Benton and Newman and he said fine use them they just did something for us can I produce it yeah so I walked out of the office with this idea producing and directing Barbara Streisand's next picture we were in the middle of shooting when picture show opened mm-hmm. They wanted to open the New York Film Festival with the last picture show, and yeah. I couldn't get there for the Friday night, so they moved it to the second night because I was shooting. They moved it to the second shooting night. Shooting
0: what? What's, What's up, up Doc? Doc? So that's the one you did with Streisand. That's
1: right. And oh, so they moved the premiere. They moved the screening oh. of, at the, uh, cat, uh, the um, New York Film Festival.
0: The, the, but now, there's an interesting decision, right? So you're like, you, you know, the last picture show ha- ha- was something that you know, sort of honored. Hadn't even opened right.
1: when I was in the midst of directing uh, What's Up Doc. In fact, when What's Up Doc opened in March of yeah. 72, last picture show was still playing in first run. So I had two pictures in the top ten variety for about six months.
0: It's interesting, though, to me that like that. What's up, Doc? Is almost a throwback.
1: Well, it's a, it's a screwball comedy, right? Yeah. So,
0: like, because, like, you know, when I think about the last picture show, it's almost an art film.
1: Well, it was kind of an art film, movie. but you just wanted to do a screwball comedy. You just saw well, her. Well, I, I thought I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well do something different. <laughs> and it killed. It was great, right? It was a huge, made a lot huge of money hit. for both of them. Made him a star, right? Well, Ryan was a star. He already made was him
0: a bigger star. From what was he a star? Love Story. Love no, story, yeah. yeah, oh, it was Love, love story. story. Yeah. All right. So then, all right. Well, and they- it became
1: Barbara Streisand's most successful film in her career, except for *Stars Born*. Oh yeah. More successful than *Funny Girl*.
0: And now, how's your personal life at this point? Is that starting to come unglued?
1: Oh well, that came unglued during the last picture show because I fell in love with Sybil. Yeah. And she fell in love with me, and oh, boy. I was married, and I had two kids, and
0: she was something, huh?
1: She was something. <laughs> Are you guys friends? Yeah. Really? Yeah, we talk all the time.
0: That's amazing feat.
1: Well, yeah, but she's a good girl. Yeah, I, I love her.
0: And then what happens, man? Uh, many well, do like
1: what Well, then I was going to what I was going to do was a western. Yeah. With Larry McMurtry. I said to Larry, let's do a western. Yeah. He said, well, "Who's going to be in it?" I said, "John Wayne, Jimmy Stewart, Henry Fonda." All the guys. Sybil Shepherd. The Clancy brothers, mm. remember them? Mm-hmm. Ben Johnson, Cloris Leachman, Ellen Mercy. He said, Jesus Christ! He said, what kind of western do you want to write? I said a trek. They start somewhere. They go somewhere. Mm. We Larry. Uh, Larry, I knew was had western stuff in him. He hadn't written a western yet, mm-hmm. and uh, he wrote a three hundred and fifty page three hundred fifty pages of screenplay, mm-hmm. and I rewrote them and cut it down to about 150 pages. And we offered it, we gave it to the actors. Fonda said, okay, you'll do it in a second. Jimmy said, yeah, well, I'll do it, but uh, why do I let the horses go? I said, well, (laughs) we're going to shore that up, make that clearer, Jimmy. All right. And then Duke turned it down. Duke said, well, Pete, it's kind of an end of the West Western and I'm not ready to hang up the spurs yet. (laughs) But... You don't die in the picture, Duke. He said, No, but everybody else does. Mm-hmm. So he turned it down. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm not going to make this without John Wayne. So I said to Larry, Why don't you write it as a novel? 13 years later, he wrote Lonesome Dove and won the Pulitzer Prize. It's based on my script. He also bought bought the script from Warner Brothers for $85,000. What was it called? The, the script, script? Streets of Laredo, hmm. which was the sequel. That he wrote to Lonesome Dove, he called it Streets of Laredo. Anyway, great uh, story.
0: Yeah. So you didn't do that. So you did last picture show. What's up, Doc? In the third movie. Well,
1: the, what happened was I, I turned. Paramount came to me and said, "Would you do this book called Addie Prey?" Yeah. And I read the screenplay that Alvin Sargent wrote. I said, "It's it's it's good, but I'm doing a western." Then when the western fell apart, they still were there wanting me to do this. Addie Prey, which was about a con man and his little girl, and uh, but that,
0: westerns were dying at that point, weren't they? They, I weren't,
1: mean, they weren't doing too well. Mm-hmm. They were kind of on the way out, right? But, but Wayne was still doing westerns that were successful, so Rooster it, Cogburn. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. He, he offered me that. Mm-hmm. So I read Addie Prey, and mm-hmm. I, I said, "Okay, I'll do it, but it needs a rewrite." Yeah. And um, I worked with Alvin Sargent. We did a rewrite, and I. I, I was looking through songs of the period because it was 1935. I always look at what was the hit songs of that period. And I come across a song called It's Only a Paper Moon. Yeah. And I thought, Paper Moon, that's a good title. Yeah. So I take it to Paramount. And I said, I'd like to call it Paper Moon. They mm-hmm. said, w- What the hell are you talking about? Yeah. I said, Well, I don't like Addie Prey. It sounds like a snake. <laughs> they said, Well, it was a best selling book. Yeah. I said, well, how many copies is it sold in hardcover? And they said 100,000. I right. said, well, oh, geez, if we get 100,000 people to see the movie, we're really going to have a big hit. All right, Peter, look, we don't want to have an argument with you. Uh, we're <laughs> not going to change the title right now. Yeah. Make the picture. Yeah. So I called Orson. He was in England. He was in uh, um, Rome uh-huh. cutting a picture. Right. And I called him up. I said, Orson, can you talk a minute? He says, no, I'm busy. What do you want? I said, "What? Well, just tell me what you think of this title. Paper moon there's a short pause and he says that title is so good you don't even need to make the picture just release the title <laughs> he heard the he heard the selling in your voice uh, he, he, he liked it it was a good, a good title yeah. So I called it Alvin, turned out to be a good title I, Yeah, I called up, I called up <laughs> yeah. Alvin Sargent the mm-hmm. writer and I said Alvin you remember those we've got a carousel we've got a um, a uh, carnival scene in the picture already mm-hmm. remember those Cardboard moons that people used to sit in and take a pictures. Yeah, I said let's put a scene like that in the picture. With Tatum wants to go sit in the moon and he doesn't want to go or whatever. He said, "Why are we doing this?" He said. He said. I said, "So we can call the fucking thing Paper Moon and nobody will say why." And that was that. And and that, that was a big hit too. Oscar winner. She won the Oscar at, at the Tatum age, of, O'Neil. age of ten.
0: I remember seeing that movie when I was a kid and I was like, "Jesus Christ, this is the greatest movie." Yeah, was she was big, amazing. She was amazing. Yeah. Are you still friends with her?
1: Yeah, really. She's in my new picture,
0: and the one that's coming out now. She she's plays funny a, that way, a bit. Oh she yeah, just
1: does, does a bit, just a cameo, just for the fun. That's of, nice. That's a nice sort yeah, of loyalty w- thing. Sybil did that too. She was in it too. She was in it too briefly, and Richard Lewis and Michael Shannon. They all did bits.
0: So you did okay. So then you did those three movies, which were huge. Yeah, and then uh, it, the tides turned a little.
1: Well, then I made a three that weren't successful. Happens. Uh, For various reasons. Um, I made Daisy Miller with Sybil, which the New Yorker just wrote a piece about it recently in which they said, it's very rare for a great book to be made into a great movie, but Bogdanovich did it with Daisy Miller, which was very nice of the New Yorker Mm -hmm. to say that. Uh, It got good reviews, but it it was way ahead of the curve on those kind of films. Merchant Ivory Mm -hmm. hadn't done any yet. So
0: does it farewell?
1: No. I mean no. No. It got mixed reviews. But I
0: mean in, in in retrospect.
1: Well we won the best I won Best Director at Brussels. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I should have made it. It's a good. I like the picture. It's a good picture. Sybil's very good in it, and it's it's it's, it's very authentic very uh, faithful to the book.
0: So, as a director, there seems to be some level of uh, like it's a unique position to be a director. And, and and do you think that your experience in in spending time with Orson Welles and in, in watching Howard Hawks and in watching John Ford and and in having these experiences with Odette's and everything uh, gave you a certain amount of confidence? Oh yeah. Because, like you, the the fact that you were detached from the rest of the crew, from Coppola and those guys who were your contemporaries, and obviously we were all competing on some level,
1: on some level.
0: So, but it seems to me that you 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 sort of take it, the way you talk about a picture failing or or, or not failing, is that something you you had calm about in the moment, or is this something that you were able to do now?
1: Mm, able to do now. Okay, uh, we made a musical that was completely screwed up. Called it "Long Last Love," a Cole Porter musical, which was screwed up. And um, why would you
0: choose to do that in 1975?
1: I I felt like doing a musical. <laughs> Set in the 30s, and I thought it'd be fun. Uh huh. And um, it was pretty good, but it wasn't good enough. And we had a couple of bad previews, and then I recut the picture, and then didn't op- didn't preview it. And We were being rushed to open at the music at the uh, Radio City <sighs> Music Hall and the worst possible cut opened. We got very, terrible reviews and picture died and uh I recut it and thought it was somewhat better but it, I just said forget this. Do you
0: picture. ever think in retrospect that your 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 nostalgia uh, might have fucked you
1: a little? Maybe. I don't <laughs> know. I I think it was just I, I didn't get it right. You know, uh, musicals okay. are hard to make.
0: Well, yeah, but but by that point they were done. Well, yeah.
1: But uh, I didn't notice. Because <laughs> I like musicals. You wanted to do it. I wanted to do it. And we did it live, too, <laughs> like they did Les Miserables. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, there's a funny story to that, which is years later, mm-hmm. 30 years later or something, yeah. 25 years later, mm-hmm. not, about three or four years ago, mm-hmm. somebody calls me and says, you know, At Long Last Love is streaming on Netflix. I said, really? So I... T- go to Netflix I look at it I, I'm watching it and I'm saying wait a second this is not my cut really that scene I cut that scene why is it here but actually it's good why did I cut it <laughs> and then another scene comes up and I say, wait a second I cut, I cut that scene too and they put it back who the fuck made this cut Yeah. found out that the head of Fox editorial a guy named Jim Blakely who had died two years before this event yeah. had recut the picture himself uh huh and it was quite close to my original preview cut, but uh-huh. it was it was different. Uh-huh. He'd kept scenes that I'd cut. He cut scenes that I'd, and he did a brilliant job. And it was so good that we s- showed it down in Temecula when they gave me an award. People loved it, and Fox had a screening, and now they put it out on Blu-ray. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was so. That was
1: that cut. That was that cut. That Jim Blakely did. I owe him a great favor. He got it right. Uh-huh. Then I did Nickelodeon, which I had a lot of problems with the studio, because uh-huh. I wanted to do it in black and white, and they wouldn't let me do it in black and white, even though I'd had two hits in black and white. Um, the, the head of the studio was- You would in,
0: think a, a movie with that title, that makes the most sense to do in black and white. I know. Right?
1: Anyway, so I didn't, the picture did all right, but yeah. I, I wasn't happy about it. Then I took three years off and went around the world twice with Sybil, and finally- we Had made, a good time? we had a good time. Yeah. We had a great time, and- uh, Decided to do something different. Uh And I did a movie called St. Jack, which won the Critics' Prize at Venice. uh, And Ben Gazzara won Best Actor and so on. And uh, it was a modest success. I particularly made it for Roger Corman because I didn't want to I I wanted to use Ben Gazzara and they wanted to use the studio said no we'll do it with you but we want Paul Newman or Warren Beatty or something Hmm. I said no I want to do it with Ben Gazzara Mm -hmm. so I made it for Roger for a million dollars so he produced it he put his name on it he put up the money Uh and um, I like that picture it's sort of a cult picture and then I made They All Laughed which was my very personal film to me with with Audrey Hepburn and Ben Gazzara, and that was, I fell in love with Dorothy Stratton, and she was murdered, and that fucked me up for quite a few years. Yeah, I, I,
0: can't, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 how many years? Like, well, decades? I didn't, I
1: didn't make a movie for, um, for, I didn't have a movie released for five years. I was writing, I wrote a book about her called The Killing of the Unicorn, Uh, Dorothy Stratton, 1960, 1980. How
0: long were you in love with her before that happened? How long did the relationship go on for? We
1: actually knew each other for about a year, but we had a thing going sort of for about 10 months.
0: And then it happened, so you knew the guy? No, I never met him. No?
1: No, uh, he didn't. The murder wasn't mainly because of the because he was estranged from her because of me. Yeah. It was much more complicated than that. It really? had a lot to do with Playboy. Uh-huh. And I don't want to go into it now, but uh, it was not a cut-and-dry thing where he's jealous because right. it wasn't that at all. It wasn't that at so all. So
0: how did you feel about the film Star 80?
1: Oh, it was a piece of shit. hmm It was completely inaccurate
2: mm-hmm.
1: on every level. Mm-hmm. And Bob Fosse, I had helped Bob Fosse when he made Lenny
2: because
1: mm-hmm. I helped him with the black and white. hmm and um, he bought the rights to a to a three part uh, art- article about the the murder, mm-hmm. which was published in the Village Voice, I think. Mm-hmm. And it won the Pulitzer Prize or something. How was that article? Not right. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew what Dorothy was like. They all wrote her about her like she was some blonde bimbo, and mm-hmm. they, they had no idea what she was like. She was extremely smart and and uh, very very sensitive, and brilliant. Fosse bought the rights, and um, I called him, and I said, Bob, why are you making a picture? And he said, well, we think it's a good story. I said, well, you don't know the story. Mm. I don't know the story, so how the fuck could you know the story? Well, we think we do know the story. I said, well, Bob, whatever you want to do is up to you, of course, but all I can say is if, I was, if it happened to you, I wouldn't make a picture about it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He made the picture, it was a complete flop. And it was uh, his last picture. Killed him. Uh, it wasn't a good picture. It wasn't anything like what she was like. I never knew him.
0: Did that phone call end with fuck you?
1: No, just goodbye. Mm-hmm. I never spoke to him again. I had to see Star 80 because the family was thinking of suing him, mm-hmm. suing the, the studio, and we did. We we we, we, we sued, and they paid off $100,000. And they cut some scenes out. No shit. That were just bullshit,
0: and then you got involved with her sister.
1: Uh, yeah, some years later, mm-hmm. but, we, we, but because Dorothy introduced me to her when she was a kid, eleven and a half mm-hmm. or twelve or something, and then of course the murder brought our families very close, mm-hmm. and uh, then I, and Louise and I got to be lovers about, uh, when she was you know about eighteen or something.
0: Mm-hmm. And this movie that you have out now, you wrote with her. Yeah. That's something.
1: We were married for 15 years, and then she wanted to get divorced. She wanted to do some stuff. Yeah. And um, I loved her, so I did whatever she wanted. Mm-hmm. And we're very close.
0: Still, obviously, you wrote very the film cl- together.
1: Very close. We wrote the film together. And we we wrote the film together back in uh, in around 2000. I was wondering about that. But um, but we're very close. We see each other all the time. And mm-hmm. In fact, I used to, when I was living out here recently. I stayed with her at her apartment.
0: It's, I can't even imagine how devastating that all must have been. How chaotic! I can't even imagine it. It was, it was,
1: it was terrible, Mark. And
0: you, and you, how the hell could you work, right?
1: Well, I didn't want to work. I yeah, mean, I thought I would never make another picture. Really,
0: too heartbroken.
1: Yeah, I was just it's like just who, gives, who gives a shit about pictures? And
0: then that whole thing with like just the nature of of. The seam, you know, the, that side of Hollywood, you, you, you know, like you, when you talk about well, you know, going back to the big knife and then you're sort of living because that, that seems to me that that story was an intimate story to you. But for the for the vultures, you know, it was a big story. It was a it was a it was sort right. of like a, a show business tabloid oh, horror yeah. show. Oh, yeah. And and and, and you're the, the guy in, in who has no voice in it. Not really. That's fucking devastating.
1: Yeah, it was pretty bad. It was the worst part of my life.
0: And what what did you come back with? When did you finally start working it?
1: Well, I was broke. Hmm. Because I bought back the rights to They All Laughed, the picture that Dorothy and mm-hmm. I and Audrey Hepburn That was a did. big cast, right? That was okay. It was Audrey Hepburn, John Ritter, Ben Gazzara, uh-huh. Dorothy.
0: And that was a screwball
1: comedy? It was a kind of a bittersweet romantic comedy. Okay. It was funny and also mm-hmm. sort of bittersweet. Mm-hmm. I thought it was the best film I'd made up to that point. I, th- I still think it's my best film. Really? Well, it's my favorite film anyway. I don't know. i got to go best. back and
0: watch it again. I, I remember seeing it, but I think I it was, it was young. What was that, like 81, 82? 81, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just in just graduated maybe high school. Or
1: oh, it's a good picture. Um Wes Anderson and Noah Baumbach and Quentin Tarantino love that movie. Oh yeah. Quentin put it on his 10 best list of all time. Which I thought was pushing it, but it was very nice. And you
0: work with him he he used you for voiceovers, right? He did
1: on uh on uh, uh, the kill bill picture. But specifically because he knew that you did that, that I did I was always the disc jockey in my own pictures. And <laughs> yeah. he knew that, so he asked me to come in and do a thing. What happened was Universal offered me a picture
2: Uh
1: after I'd finished writing the book about Dorothy, which took me about three years. They offered me a picture called Mask, Uh and uh, it was about a 100-page screenplay, and it covered the last 10 years of this boy's life, and I agreed to do it because I needed the money, Mm -hmm. but there was another reason also, which I'll tell you, which was that... uh, when we were living in New York, with making They all that, and I was basically living with Dorothy. She yeah. was staying at my suite at the Plaza, although she had a suite elsewhere, another hotel. But she stayed with me most of the time. So you
0: were living the life.
1: We were living together, yeah. right?
0: But I mean, like having a suite at the Plaza, you were, you know, you were living a, a Hollywood life. Well, I mean,
1: yeah, I had a mansion in Bel Air. Yeah, we used to go to Double Day's bookshop at around, yeah. which used to close at midnight on right. Fifth Avenue. Yeah. It's not. It's gone now. They're all gone. But we used to go down there around ten thirty or something, eleven o'clock at night, and get some books and and the one, the, the only play, the first play that Dorothy had ever seen in, in on Broadway, and the only one she ever did see, uh, was The Elephant Man. And she it was, was bef- Bowie. Uh, it was before Bowie. Okay. Did it. And uh, I saw it with Bowie, but uh, but that was later. Yeah. And um, she loved it. And was very interested in it and I didn't I didn't, I didn't say I didn't see it. But we went to Doubledays and there was a book about the the real elephant man. Yeah. Whose name I can't remember
0: right John Mer Merrick. Merrick. Is it Merrick? Yeah, I think yeah. you're
1: right. And she had this book that she was looking through about John Merrick and I looked over her shoulder and there were some photographs and I couldn't look at them. Jesus Christ. and She was riveted. Yeah. Interesting. And she wanted to buy the book. Yeah. I said, You want you sure you want to buy that? And she says, Yes <laughs> Very definite. <laughs> yeah. And so we bought the book and she read it, okay, cover to cover. And I never figured out what that was about. And then after she was killed, I went to see The Elephant Man in New York with, with Bowie, as a matter of, mm-hmm. of fact. And then it sort of started to make sense. What, what what The thing was, Dorothy and I would be walking down the street in New York. Yeah. And everybody would stop and look at her. Yeah. Dogs stopped. Yeah. I'm not even exaggerating. This Dogs is at, stopped. Uh,
0: from the, they, she was stunning, and she'd also done the Playboy stuff. Yeah,
1: but no, it wasn't the Playboy stuff. It thing. was she, just because she... she is, was stunning. Right. And she was tall yeah. and just a knockout. She, movies never captured how she really looked. Yeah. She was better looking than that. And um, I said, everybody's looking at you, Dr. What, what, what is going on here? She said, no, they're looking at you. I said, they're not looking at me. The only reason they're looking at me is to see who you're with. And she, I said, was well, it bother you? She said, yeah. I said, why? Well, I don't know, I feel, I feel weird. It's like I've got ice cream on my shirt or something.
0: And so it didn't matter why they were looking at her, they were just looking at her. Yeah. And she, it was freakish.
1: She, it was freakish to her. Yeah. And so I realized that if you're an outsider, whether you're beautiful or ugly, whatever sets you apart from everybody else still makes you feel like an outsider in right. some way. Right, yeah. And so I... So I I understood Mask, and I said, okay, I'll do this Mm -hmm. for Dorothy. And uh, we made it. It's a good movie. It was a good movie. It was a better movie when I finished with it than what they released. I had a big fight with them. I sued Universal. Over what? Never was more hated in Hollywood. Really? Yeah, because what happened was, you'll appreciate this, Bruce Springsteen. Had never let anybody use any of his music in a movie,
2: uh-huh.
1: but I knew him a little bit, and he liked he and Rocky, the boy in mass, the, yeah. the real kid, yeah. had loved the Beatles and Bruce Springsteen. Right. So I said, "Can we use some of your music in the picture?" This was at the time when Born in the USA was the most popular album in history. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I got to use anything I wanted of Bruce's in the movie except Born to Run. And I had Promised Land, oh, yeah. Badlands, yeah. Thunder Road, yeah. and they were all in the picture. I went to Europe, and they took him out of the picture and replaced him with Bob Seeger. because they said they couldn't make a deal. They could make a deal, but they didn't want to make a deal. It's a long story. There was a guy at Universal who had it in for me. Anyway, um, yeah. Yeah, he didn't want the picture to be a hit. Where's that guy now? Well, he's, he's, he's not in pictures anymore, <laughs> but he's still alive. <laughs> Unfortunately. Anyway. Uh, um, Why do you have it in for you? Uh, uh, well, for two reasons. Yeah. One, he didn't uh, green light the picture. He came into the studio after it was already greenlit, so it wasn't his picture.
0: Right. So he's like, fuck that. Let's yeah, get, Let's he, take that he, off the docket.
1: Yeah, and what he wanted was the picture he brought to the studio called Out of Africa to be considered the great film, which it it won won Best Picture. It wasn't that good a picture, by Mm -hmm. the way. So he diminished my picture as much as he could, and I was pissed off, and I sued the studio, which was about as dumb a thing as you can do. As a director. You don't sue the studio, (laughs) uh, but I sued the
0: studio. Over Bruce Springsteen.
1: Over Springsteen and the cutting, because there were were two big sequences that weren't in the picture that I thought should have been. Anyway, it was a disaster, and uh, I didn't win, of course, and thir- again, 20 years later, I, I got Springsteen to let I-, I said to Bruce, "Can't we get your music in the picture somehow?" He said, "Peter, look, if it, if it has to be for nothing, you can have it for nothing." Uh-oh. So there was a new guy at Universal, Ron Meyer, and I said, "I can get Springsteen in the movie for nothing." He said, "Write me a letter." And we got it in the picture, and I recut the picture, put in the two sequences that were missing. And um, they call it the director's cut, and it's it's my movie. It's the movie I made, which wasn't released, but is available now.
0: So that's out there. People should know that. Oh, it's there. It's there. Do You cut. feel better about it?
1: Yeah, because it's the picture I made. It's a very good picture. I'm yeah. very proud of it. Yeah. I wasn't proud of the fucked up version. Right. But it was a very un. It was a very awkward moment for me, Mark, you can imagine everybody saying, Oh, I love this picture mask and I'm saying but it's not my picture, not the picture I made. Look at this egotistical bastard. He says he's got a better picture than this. This is great. Yeah. No it ain't. What I made was pretty damn good. Right. But this is not as good. Did that fuck you did that bite you in the ass? Oh yeah, of course. Everything did me <laughs> in the ass.
0: <laughs> but you survived, Peter. I, I I'm here. You survived and you work. I'm still working. What what compelled you? I, I know you did uh, other movies, obviously, and 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 some television. What compelled you to do the Tom Petty documentary? Because people love that thing.
1: Yeah, I loved it too. I loved doing it. Yeah. Well, what happened was this: a guy named George Draculius, who's a record producer, mm-hmm. and a and a friend of mine, whom I got friendly with through Wes Anderson, who became friendly with me too do you, you love his movies yeah i like his movies a lot
0: you like noah's movies yeah very much and like you like them. quentin's They're movies friends of mine yeah you know? They're all these are your guys ways. the young guys yeah the young guys who they else they call me pop who else
1: and i call them my sons
0: oh are there are other ones
1: no those are the two uh, quentin doesn't call me pop
0: right but those three you like their movies i like their we, movies. T- we started by talking about movies and independent movies and, and you like those guys yeah i do I like anybody them. else
1: Oh, there's people around. Yeah, yeah sure. I, I don't know. I'm not, you like David O. Russell? Uh, yeah. He makes good movies. Uh, good. I like him personally, too. Yeah, that's
0: good. So Tom Petty, George
1: Draculius calls me, and he says, "Would Tom Petty is wants to do a documentary about the 30 years anniversary, which is coming up, of The Heartbreakers. Uh, he wants to know if you'd like to direct. Great it.
0: American band.
1: Yeah, exactly. He he'd mm-hmm. like to know if you'd like to direct it.
0: Really, Tom looked at him. He was, working. And I
1: said, why me? And George said, well, I mentioned, he said he wanted a, a major director. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned you. And he said, can we get him? And I'm asking you if you'd do it. So I said, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Let, let me think about it. I hung up the phone. I called Louise Stratton, my, my ex-wife yeah. at the time. She's already been an ex, wife I called her. I said, tell me about Tom Petty. Is he a folk singer? <laughs> She, she oh, no. says, no, he's not a folk singer. He's one of the premier rock and roll artists in the country.
0: Great. One of the best.
1: And I said, oh, really? Well, he, he, did George just call me and blah, blah, blah. She says, do it, do it, do it, do it. Oh. So I went to California, sat down with Tom for four hours. And I said, tell me the story of the Heartbreaker. He told me the whole thing. And I said, OK, I'll do it. And um, how are you going to do I said, I'm going to have you tell it. And uh, it took us two years. And you and had, we won a We won a Grammy. You know
0: what's exciting about that to me? Is that you coming into that had to sit and listen to those first five or six records for the first time. Yeah. Those are great. Great.
1: I to great. all of them. They were great.
0: He's great. He's, and you know, he's definitely I also, appreciated. Uh, but
1: I love him. He's great. He's, yeah? He's not appreciated enough. And I think that's true.
0: He's, because you talk about Springsteen, but fucking Petty's right up there, man. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. He is. He is. He, and he's he's very unusual. hmm. And his song, his music is unusual, and he's a very, very smart guy. I love him. And you, and now you, uh, you, you act because, like in the Sopranos,
0: I was surprised to see you because I only knew you as this, this. Uh, this intelligent filmmaker and, I, and I'm watching The Sopranos. I'm like, holy shit! That's Peter Bogdanovich. I know he fucking acted, but now I know you acted a lot. Originally, now do you carry? An actor. But do you carry anything over from your experience with Stella Adler into when you oh, do that? Oh
1: sure, time? oh sure. What I, was her I, pitch?
0: I, I, like, what was her no, angle? I,
1: I basically with Stella, I learned the technique of acting. I had instincts as an actor, mm-hmm. and I had a talent as an actor. But but when you when you when you don't. When, you, when you're not inspired, you mm-hmm. need to have a technique to fall back on. Yeah. And that's what I learned.
0: And what, what are the tenets of well, the technique
1: of, of acting, I mean, it's complicated.
0: I know. I, and no one can ever explain but it to me. No, because Everyone's you, got you, their own you have to
1: learn how to imagine things. You start out by pretending to unscrew a jar, uh-huh. and think, and see something, really see it. Mm-hmm. Those kind of things. That's the beginning. And right. then you work up to scene classes and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. Um, but The Sopranos was great fun. Wow, what a, I miss it. <laughs> There's me, some Me too. I miss it too.
0: Just working on it, or oh boring? yeah,
1: it was great to do. I directed one episode. Which one? Uh, it was in the fifth season. It was the one where um, that pr- t- teacher has a thing with with Carmilla. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And then he kind of blows her off. Right. And it's the same episode where. Steve Buscemi beats the shit out of that Korean guy who, who was trying to help him. Right. <laughs> that was that episode. Oh, wow. It was what a good a, episode. A great fucking show. It was a great show, and uh, you know how I got that. Uh-uh. Well, in 1993, yeah, I get a call out of the blue from a guy named David Chase. Yeah. And he says... Genius. Genius. And he says he was he was at that time supervising a, a show called Northern Exposure. Mm-hmm. And he said, look, uh, he says Orson Welles, who had died about seven years before. Uh, and But my book of interviews with Orson had come out the year before. Mm-hmm. And he said, look, we're going to do an episode about Orson Welles, kind of a tribute to Orson Welles. And uh, we'd like to know if you come up here to Seattle and play yourself. And talk about Orson. And mm-hmm. We'll write a scene, we'll write a, 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 a script with, with yeah. your in mind, playing yourself. Northern Exposure. Northern Exposure. Yeah. And I said, sure, I'd be like to do that. And so I, they wrote a script that was very good. I went up and did it, it took me a week. That was it. Seven years later, I get a call from David Chase again. Yeah. He says, I'm doing a second season of a series called The Sopranos. I said, yeah, I heard about it. I haven't seen it, but I hear it's great. <laughs> he said, well, he said, the therapist, the uh, psychiatrist in the in the show, played by Lorraine Bracco, is having such difficulty with her client, her patient Tony Soprano, that she needs to go to a shrink. Would you be interested in playing the shrink that she goes to? I said, Yeah. Well, come down and meet with the writers. So I met with the writers. We talked for about an hour. I went home, and they called me and said, You got the part. And I, I forgot to say, when we the second day of shooting Northern Exposure. Mm-hmm. David calls me up he says have you acted before yeah and I said yeah I started as an actor when I was 15 he says well I said why am I terrible he said no no you're good he says you got a lot of presence you should act more yeah and then he calls me seven years later and gives me this great part it's great it's a great part and I love doing it and everybody suddenly said oh he's an actor right
0: let's use Peter Bogdanovich
1: <laughs> yeah I Yeah. Got a lot of parts after that
0: so out of those guys that you you know get uh, you know sort of associated with in the 70s the guys that you weren't necessarily friends with, and that were you were all sort of you know chomping at the bit in Hollywood at the same time and making great movies, like you know Friedkin, Coppola, Scorsese, Spielberg, Lucas, Ashby. Do you, do, do you like their movies? I mean, that's a big question with a lot of guys. But out of, out of any of them, do you do you respect their work? Some of it, yeah. Like you like Friedkin?
1: Well, uh... French Connection. French Connection won over the last picture show, Best Picture. (laughs) Okay. And he won Best Director. Okay. And after the Oscars, he came over to me at the ball, and he had the Oscar in his hand, and he said, Peter, you're going to win a hundred of these. And he put his arms around me and hit me in the head with the Oscar. (laughs) I thought, okay, Billy, fine. That's (laughs) great. Don't hit me again. Uh,
0: but as a film critic, do you like Coppola's work, the oh, early stuff? he's done some good pictures, too. And Scorsese? Yeah. yeah,
1: they've all done good yeah, pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I tend to like the older films. Mm-hmm. I go back to those sure. more than I do to the. But, you know, Fried, um, Friedkin and Coppola and I had a company together for, uh-huh. for about 30 seconds. Oh, yeah? Called The Director's Company. Mm-hmm. And I put Paper Moon into that deal. hmm as a kind of a jump through st- Paramount, through Paramount mm-hmm. to jumpstart the company, it was it was Paramount's idea to have the company happen at all, and we did it because we were promised that we would go public, right, and make a lot of money. It never happened. Okay, but uh, well, at least
0: you got along with those two.
1: I got along with them, yeah. Yeah,
0: but like you go back to the Searchers, yeah, and watch that sometimes. Oh, like yeah. I find that like that out of a lot of the movies, and I don't come to it in the same way you do. But like that movie, I go back to a lot
1: oh it's a great film and Rio Bravo I go back to you do
0: yeah Yeah. and which one of Wells do you go back to
1: well I like Chimes at Midnight and I like Touch of Evil I like all his pictures but uh, (laughs) I remember I said to him when I first met him I said you know there's only one picture of yours I don't really like Uh which one yeah The Trial I don't either (laughs) I thought, wow, we're really close. <laughs> Six months later, I made some kind of disparaging remark about it, the trial. He said, oh, "We should stop saying that." Uh-huh. I said, "I thought you didn't like it." No, I, I just said that to please you. Oh. I have great respect for your opinion, but when you when you denigrate that, you diminish my small treasure. Oh, oh shit, Orson. I'm sorry. I just, <laughs> that's all right. We can. Start. And from then on, he always referred to the trial as that picture you hate. <laughs> I don't hate it, Orson. That's <laughs> so
0: funny that he, like, as he got older, he was this strangely needy man.
1: Well, he was.
0: You know? Like he, he really. It seems like he, it sounds like he really needed a friend.
1: Well, we, 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 we were there. For, we, 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 I was there for him for for a while.
0: That's sweet. So the new picture. You're like it's been a while, huh? Since you. Well,
1: I had. A, you know, people say to me, "You haven't made a feature. You haven't made a picture for. What are you doing?" And I said, you have been working." But... I have a very I had a very yeah. long. Yeah. 12 years. I did six years of The Sopranos, published a 600-page book on actors called Who the Hell's in It,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: did two specials for television, one about Natalie Wood, one about Pete Rose, uh, directed a a four-hour documentary on Tom Petty, which won a Grammy, and a two-hour documentary on John Ford that I redid. And was completely you new. Know, so I've been I've been very busy. I did, it wasn't like I was trying to make pictures no, and couldn't succeed. but like
0: to write and direct and cast and to do like to really get in a chair again. It's been a while, right? Yeah.
1: Well. Yeah. To an original screenplay, right. part particularly. Yeah. And how
0: was the experience? It Was great. Yeah. Yeah. You like the movie? Yeah.
1: I okay. think it's a funny picture.
0: What is it? Pitch it to me.
1: It's it's a screwball comedy. Okay, back
0: to the screwball comedy, basically. Yeah.
1: It's a little darker than What's Up, Doc. Uh-huh. It's quite a bit dark. Uh-huh. Because it's about a... The basic idea was, what would happen if a guy gave an escort whom he had a night with, yeah. gave her a lot of money to stop being an escort? Yeah. Which I've done. How'd that work out? I did that in Singapore when uh-huh. I was making a picture about pimps and, uh-huh. and hookers and so
0: on. You got involved with one and you decided to? I got to. involved with a couple uh, oh, yeah.
1: and uh, they were cast in the picture and I said, and they wanted to go home. They w- had terrible backstory what had happened to them. Yeah. guy had girl had been fooled by a guy mm-hmm. and put her on the street and so on and so forth. And I said, look, I'll give you some extra money. They worked on the picture. I said, well, I'll give you some extra money if you promise you'll quit this racket and go home. Mm-hmm. And they both did. Mary Lim, she went back to Ma- Ma- Malaysia. And the other girl, uh, whose name I have difficulty remembering now, uh, went back to Bangkok.
0: They did? Yeah. And they stayed out of the racket?
1: Yeah. That's
0: a yeah. good story. Yeah. So that informed this. So that, I, so that this. was, that was right. the idea uh-huh. sort of
1: behind this picture. Yeah. And Owen Wilson plays a st- theater director, mm-hmm. New York theater director. Broadway director. Uh
0: huh. That's interesting. So you have no knowledge of that, right?
1: Well, no, he doesn't. <laughs> no, now. no, he, you.
0: He, you, that's what I'm saying. Uh, that's a, you're kind of it's a surrogate. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And um, he's married and he's about to direct a play on Broadway with his wife, yeah. who's a star, and so on. And the night before they arrive, he gets to New York first and he has an escort. Mm hmm. And he gives her thirty thousand dollars if she promises to stop being an escort. She's young, mm-hmm. played by Imogen Poots, who's an absolutely brilliant actress. Great. And um, then he has auditions for this play that he's doing, and she comes into audition, not knowing that he's the director because he gave a fake name. Yeah. And that's the beginning of all hell breaks loose.
0: Wow! And there's a lot. It's a big cast.
1: Well, we've got the six principals. Who are they? Our. Uh, Owen Wilson yeah. plays the director. His yeah. wife is played by Catherine Hahn. Okay. Oh, she's great. She's just great. Just Love her, man. great. And the escort is played by Imogen Poots, who's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And the movie star who is in the play, yeah. played by Rhys Ifans. I don't know if you know I him. I don't know. He's Welsh actor. Yeah. He's
0: brilliant. Oh, wait, I think I do know him. I've seen him, yeah. Yeah, you've seen him. Yeah.
1: And uh, then the therapist, the therapist... Uh-huh. The, the therapist of the escort, yeah, he's played by Jennifer Aniston. Oh, great! And it's a, it's a pisser because Jennifer's never played anything like this. Oh, she plays the, the she plays the th- the therapist from hell, and she wanted to play it. I asked her to play the wife. She says no, I want to play the therapist. Oh, that's great, and she did a great job. I mean, Will Forte's in it too. Oh, he's great. Good cast.
0: He's, I love that guy. He's a great guy. He really is. He plays the playwright. Oh, that's great. Oh, well, that's exciting, man. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's fun. And and how are your expectations? Well, you never know. You, you feel, you, but you're excited,
1: right? I've, let me put it this way: I yeah. saw we, the first screening of the picture ever. In fact, it was the first time I saw it all the way through, put together. Mm-hmm. Was in Venice at the film festival last year, mm-hmm. not this year, last yeah. year. And uh, it was a, we had a ten minutes standing ovation. Oh, tremendous! They just loved it. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. And then we showed it at Palm Springs Festival. They loved it. Every audience we've seen it with laughs about the same oh places. that must be so
0: fucking exciting for
1: you yeah it's nice it's really it's, i mean it's fun it's fun to you, you play a co- pretty
0: cool character here in the you know as a person but i got to assume that that re-entering that particular world of writing and directing and and having that that experience with these great young actors and, and having that response must have been fucking phenomenal
1: yeah, it's it's been great yeah
0: and your your relationship with your kids is good
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. My daughter, my older daughter, just last year directed her first movie. Really? Yeah, and well, she did quite well, quite well with it. Is the other one in show business, too? No, she's in Brooklyn with two kids, and that's a plenty. Uh-huh. But she, she, she's going to do some writing. I know when she when her kids get a little older. Uh-huh. One is 10 and one is 4, and they take up pretty much all her time.
2: Uh-huh. And where she's you living really
1: now? She's a really good girl. Um, I, I'm living in L.A., Okay. I'm staying with a friend of mine right now. I have an apartment in New York, but it's sublet, so I can't uh-huh. use it okay. right now. But uh, I'm staying with a friend of mine.
0: Well, great. I tell you, Peter, it's been great talking to you.
1: Well, it's been great talking to you, Mark. You're a good talker.
0: You? A good, good interviewer. Well, thank you very much. I, I really, it was an honor, and I'm, I'm glad we covered so much ground.
1: We covered a lot of ground.
0: We did great, and I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Mark. <laughs>
0: I enjoy talking to Mr. Bogdanovich. I get a feeling that he's not always the easiest guy to work with. Did you get that feeling? But there was a lot of wisdom there and a lot of um, exciting history, and I'm glad I got to talk to him. Go to WTFpod.com and for all your WTFpod needs, get a little justcoffee.coop if you want. Get on the mailing list, check my schedule for gigs, get hooked up with the new Howl app. Do the thing, man. Do the thing. I'm going to play some guitar. So, some guy uh, actually doesn't like it at all, but he liked it the other day because there was a story behind it about my friend Dave. Hold on. How's that thing sound, man?